So I went shopping with Lisa a number of years ago, which meant uh, I stayed in the car the whole time while she shopped. When, uh, if I, my name is Brian Jones. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm really glad to meet you. Um, pastor here at the CCV. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. So a number of years ago, we're, we're shopping, and um, she had gone to, like, the billionth store. She was shopping for church. Oh, and, oh, my gosh, whenever she's shopping for the church, because, like, every single penny, like, if there's some supply for hospitality or something, oh, my gosh, it takes forever. Um, so anyway, we're in the billion store. We're at this box store, and she's inside. And I'm like, she'd been in there for, it seemed like an hour. Probably wasn't, but it seemed like an hour. So I texted her, no response. I wait a few minutes. I text her again, no response. I text her in all caps. <laughs> no response. I text her again, this time with a bunch of angry face emojis. And she still didn't respond. Okay, so I knew something was up. I called her again, left a voicemail. Called her again, left. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're killing me. Come on. So I've never been able to prove this. But I'll be able to tell by just looking in the eyes of women here today. I have this theory that when a teenage girl becomes a woman, all the women in her life secretly gather around her and hand her an instruction manual called How to Deal with Men When They're Being Stupid. At the top, you see it's endorsed by Oprah. And at the bottom, it says a step-by-step guide given to every woman on her 18th birthday, right? So I know every woman is given this guide because they follow, to a T, rule number one. Rule number one, when a man keeps bugging you when you're shopping, send him to voicemail. When he asks, why didn't you answer your phone? You tell him, I'm so sorry, it was at the bottom of my purse, Right? That ever happened? You know that rule? Um, Well, after calling her four more times, texting her six more times, I actually started to get worried. And so I really rushed into this big box place trying to find her. And I went past the accounting desks and a woman said, sir, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I I can't find my wife anywhere. She's not answering her phone. I I, I I, I looked around for 10 minutes before I said this to this woman. And she said, well, what does she look like? Maybe we can help you find her. And I said, well, I was really rushed. I was like, listen, she has, she has uh, long black hair. She's wearing a black coat. You can't miss her. She's just absolutely gorgeous. And, um, and then she paused and tilted her head and said, you are a great man. <laughs> and then she said, Linda, did you just hear what he said? Oh, yeah, he is a great man. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm just, it just came out. I'm, I'm just, I'm really scared. I'm really worried. And I'll tell you how I should have responded. I should have looked right back at these two women and said, you know what, ladies? The more I hear you talk, the more I realize I am a great man. We need, let's have some girl talk right now, right? Let's, let's dig into why I'm so great. But I didn't say that. I was just immediately struck by the thought that I don't know if Lisa's ever heard me say that to her. Like, why did it take an emergency, what I felt like it was an emergency for me, for me just to not even think about it, but just to blurt it out, my feelings about my wife, and why should people find it so odd when a husband speaks that way about his wife? In fact, why is it so hard for any of us to talk that way to those we say we deeply love? 
We're starting a new series today called Red Flags, and it's a series about how to repair and deepen relationships. It's not just, a, a, this is not a series about marriage, though we're going to talk about it. We're also going to talk about single relationships. We're going to talk about dating relationships, but ultimately at the heart of this, this is a series about us as individuals and what we bring to relationships and the red flags that we start to see in relationships that tell us, hey man, this is something we really, really need to address. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about intimacy. And it's kind of weird that in our culture, I need to clarify, I'm not talking about sex. That in our culture, when you think of intimacy, you immediately think of sex. And that's not at all what we're going to be talking about today, though we'll touch on it. But what are the causes of the fear of intimacy. There are two verses that are going to be the basis of everything that we're going to look at today. It comes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. It says this, that is why a man leaves his father and mother. I just want to pause and say this is at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis when Adam is alone and then he creates Eve and these are the progenitors of the human race. And then he gives the rationale of them coming together intimately. And it says this, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. This is obviously because they're in their 20s, right? So, but this right here, this is the core issue, right? That, that we're dealing with. This word united um, it comes from the Hebrew word that means to stick, right? Think of uh, like gorilla goo, glue, gorilla goo, gorilla glue, right? Or super glue. That's what that's what it's talking about. That that these two people leave together and then they stick. And what this passage is saying is that when a man and a woman falls in love and they decide they want to become life partners, their top priority is sticking is cleaving, as the King James would say. They're bonding as one. I don't know if you know this, a lot of the actual verbs that are in the Old Testament and Hebrew are synonymous with our relationship with God. Let me give you an example. Uh, The Hebrew word to know intimately someone is the word yada. And uh, if you've ever watched Seinfeld's where they talk about yada, 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 Yada in Hebrew means to know intimately. And so when it says that Adam knew Eve, that's what it's talking about. But that same word, yada, is also used for our worship with God. That our, this intimate, deeply intimate connection, this moment. So it's not necessarily about sex. It's about intimacy and about feeling connection with another human being as well with God, that we're built for intimacy. So, I want to give a definition. Intimacy is what happens when two people, two equal people, this is in a marriage relationship, intimacy what happens when two equal people permanently cement themselves together, which affords them the opportunity to safely expose the core of who they are for the very first time in their lives. That is marriage intimacy. Not necessarily in single relationship, but in marriage. Now, there are two facts that we have to understand. Number one, marriage does not guarantee intimacy. In fact, if I did a show of hands, which I'm not going to, 
a lot of hands would go up at the end of this message if I asked, how intimate are you with the person that you love? It would also go, hands would go up if I talk about, tell me about the intimacy you experience with your siblings or the intimacy that you experience with your mother or your father. Last 30 years, marriage therapists have talked a lot about attachment and how trauma causes us to not attach to our parents. And then we replicate that if you get into a lifelong partnership with someone. And what happens is that you bring that trauma into the relationship and it's sort of like magnets. Magnets, when there's intimacy, go together and it's really hard to pull them apart. But when you experience trauma, what happens is like the magnet gets flipped and it's like, man, no matter how hard, right? And some of you are feeling that right now in your relationship, right? Like, what, what is that? Why is that? Like, I... And so, here's what the Bible teaches. For those of you who are choosing to get married in a lifelong partnership, for those of you, that, that other person that you're going to enter into... It's really difficult to achieve any kind of intimacy unless like you're, you're, you're committed for life. Because oftentimes in relationships, we've been burnt so bad, like we just don't want to open up ourselves and, and go and risk doing that and then getting hurt again, right? So this is why our church requires six sessions of premarital counseling. We had premarital counseling like that. Like, we will not marry you unless you do six sessions of premarital counseling. It's not with any pastors, it's with a licensed Christian counselor. And there's a reason for that. It's not because, like, people here at CCV are so screwed up. It's that we don't go into a permanent relationship without, the, we don't have the skills to make it happen. And so what it is, the, the premarital counseling, is, is it like a ramp to get you ready for that relationship? Because the thing is, you don't really know who you're marrying if you're going to get married. I'll talk to couples all the time who are living together and they'll say, you don't understand. We don't have to have marriage in order to have that intimacy. This is, these are people who are pursuing this love relationship, right? And I'll say, do you have two bank accounts? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you don't have intimacy. We'll get to that later. Fact number two, you have a two-year window for those who are entering into a permanent relationship. You have a two-year window to attach yourselves as a couple before major problems begin to develop in your relationship. It takes a long time to develop that kind of intimacy and open up, especially if you've, if you've experienced traumas. But you have about two years to get it done because there's other stuff that you've got to do in your relationship. One of my favorite books on marriage is the Passages of Marriage, uh, Minerth Meyer Clinic. And you tell me, for those of you who are in a marriage relationships, what passage you're in right now. The first passage, Young Love, is two years. And there's a primary task that you have to do. The second passage, Realistic Love, is three to ten years. Third passage, Comfortable Love, 11 to 25 years. The fourth passage, Renewing Love, this is where Lisa and I are, 26 to 35 years. We've been married 33 years. She's been married to the man of her dreams. The fifth passage, Transcendent Love, 36 plus years. So wherever you are, if you're in a marriage relationship, you have a passage that you have to go through and there are tasks that you have to complete. And each, 
have these primary tasks. And what happens is, if you don't finish the task in the first passage, you'll go to the second passage chronologically without having dealt with that. And the very first passage, that main task of the first two years, developing intimacy with one another. And oftentimes, because of trauma, because of lack of skills, you'll find people who have been married 17 years and they still haven't developed the intimacy. Right? I think if you were to ask Lisa, if you were to say, hey, listen, at what point in your marriage did you truly experience intimacy? And she would say, and I would agree, about the 12th year of marriage. We were, we were both so broken going into our relationship that it wasn't actually until after we took the dynamic marriage course that God willing, we're going to be offering in the fall that that actually happened. See, here are the four, four most common red flags. And you tell me whether you're married or not in your relationships do you see these red flags popping up? Red flag number one, the overuse of sarcasm. Whenever Lisa asks me to do something, I have this statement. I say, dear, is there anything else you need me to do? Because I am here to make all your dreams come true. And then she laughs. But if I talk that way all the time, sarcasm is a red flag that that person struggles with intimacy. So is there a lot of sarcasm in your relationship? Sarcasm comes from two Greek words. Number one, to flesh, and then to cut. So it's funny one time, but it's not funny 16 times. And if you fear intimacy, what you'll do is you'll create distance, like a magnet, by cutting. It's really hard to be drawn intimately to someone who is constantly using sarcasm. Red flag number two, changing the subject when things get vulnerable. I don't know if you know this. I have a PhD and postdoctoral research done at Oxford on changing the subject. I am awesome at changing the subject. Things get too intimate for me, like, like man. So we're talking about squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> Look at that squirrel, right? And, and, it's, and it's because this is a struggle for me. And um, it just is. Now this next one, before I get into it, I just want to say this is a topic that, you know, I don't know who's watching here. So I'm going to use language that's sort of a, a code language, okay? So everybody knows what I'm talking about, okay? Code language, just, it's code language, okay? So red flag number three, ongoing excuses for picking the fastest ride at the amusement park. If someone struggles with intimacy, they're always giving reasons why they want to ride the fastest ride. Here is the slingshot ride. You will see this at any theme park. Popular ride with men. Popular ride with men. It's a quick two-minute ride, and uh, men will often say, babe, let's go to the amusement park, and she's like, we don't have time, and he's like, oh, we have time. And... Um, this is going to surprise you. This is not a popular ride with women. The ride that's been given five-star reviews by females everywhere is the roller coaster. Take your time to get all the way up to the top. Are we ever going to make it to the top? 
hold on, you'll get there. And uh, you'll know when you get to the top, okay? You know, just prepare yourself. It's very clear when you get to the top, all right? Now, when a partner struggles with intimacy, they always have reasons why they can't slowly enjoy all aspects of the ride. Some people don't like roller coasters at all because there are, phys- there are real, genuine physical issues. Some people have had other people ruin the ride for them. They've never, not figured out a way to move past that. The biggest one, honestly, it takes a lot of hard work. There's more to the ride than just getting to the top of the hill. And listen, I've been a pastor for 33 years, and I will tell you, unequivocally, it can take years to develop intimacy. The easy part is, the easy part's the easy part. The difficult part is what precedes, what goes on, and what comes after the roller coaster. That can take years. The, the last red flag is codependency. In a relationship, so codependency is a one-sided relationship where one partner relies on the other for meeting nearly all their emotional needs. This is why, for those of you who are single, if you're in a relationship, if someone needs to be with you all the time, that is a red flag that there's codependency in the relationship, that they have stuff that they need to deal with. Do you not have friends? Do you not have the ability to be alone? Why do you need to be with me constantly? That is a huge red flag. Now, um, I don't know if you've seen this movie. I'm pretty sure everyone in the universe has seen this movie. What is this movie? The Blob, right? We know about this because we're so close to Phoenixville and the Colonial Theater. Uh, Lisa and I were at the movies this weekend. Uh, We saw Top Gun. Great movie, great movie. She sinned, she sinned. Uh, We had to stop at Wegmans uh, to go get some Grater's ice cream that she could put into her purse and take into the movie theater, you know she, is, she was planning on this because she brought her own spoon from home, right? And the Bible, the Bible very clearly says there are two, two lies you're allowed to commit. Number one, you're allowed to bring food into a movie theater. You're allowed... What's in your coat, sir? Nothing. Nothing. Is that a pizza? No, that's not a pizza, right? What's the other lie? If you have a family of five and you're making reservations at a hotel and they ask you how many people are in your family, what do we say? Four. What happens to that fifth kid? They wait wait in the car until you get into the room, then you let them around the back, right? That's what you do. Anyway, back to the movie, The Blob, right? Codependency is a lot like The Blob, right? You, You latch yourself onto a partner because you really need what they have. And that's the difference between intimacy and connection. And let me give you an example of this, right? How many of you saw this movie? The scene from this movie is, what movie is this? Come on, that's right, I heard Jerry Maguire, right? And you know the scene we're talking about, right? 
Women are having a, a study, a book study. He barges in at the end of the movie. He wants to be with her. And he goes into this long speech. And she said, you had me at, at hello. And then, but what is he saying to her? He says, you complete me. We see this a lot in the ode to my lover posts on social media. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'd like to take this moment and profess my love to my man. And they're humble bragging, right? Like, but, and, and it's okay occasionally. But when you see this all the time, this is a clear indication of codependency. One celebrity wife said this on social media, and I wrote it down verbatim. My advice to my daughter... If you ever find a man half as good as your daddy, do whatever it takes to keep him. Women of CCV, hear me and hear me now. If I ever hear you say something like that to your daughter, I will stab you in the foot with a pencil. (laughs) Your daughter is complete in and of herself. Your son is complete in and of himself. That crap, do whatever it takes to keep him. Forget that stuff. Right? Don't dump your emotional baggage on your daughter or son and make him or her think that this is what a good marriage relationship looks like. The line from the movie should have said this. You can't and won't complete me. All right? Singles, I know church feels like a couple's sport to you. Man, I I profusely apologize if in any way, shape, or form I have given you that impression. You need to understand that among Jesus' followers, being single in the first century was preferred. So many people were choosing to remain single... That one of the reasons the Apostle Paul wrote a letter that we call 1 Corinthians was to tell the Christians in Corinth, it's okay if you want to get married. No, truly, honestly, it's okay. Because so many people were choosing to stay single. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, it's preferable to be single. But if you don't want to remain single, go ahead and marry This is the exact opposite of what you hear in churches today, and it's a shame. This is why I got to tell you, I can't stand going to weddings that are not done by CCV pastors. Not only do I feel like I'm watching that scene from The Princess Bride, Mowage, right? I'm watching. But they always, always read Genesis 2.18. It is not good for the man to be alone. And they go into this spiel where they talk about it's only in marriage where you're going to feel complete. You're going to feel whole. And this is your cure for love. Jenny, where are you? Greg, I'm out there in the universe. Just wait. I will find you. Jackie, hold on. I need you to... When God said it's not good for the man to be alone, I'll give you one guess why he said that. He was the only human being on the planet. Right? Like, like Matt Damon in The Martian. Right? The, the, the text says God brought to Adam all of these animals. Tiger, nah. Nails, mm, right? And then the elephant and then the snake, now. 
And so created Eve, and it said that so she could be, uh, in Hebrew, an anazar, in Hebrew. Azar occurs uh, 18 times, I believe, in the Old Testament. 13 of them, it refers to God. God, it says in Psalm 46, is an ever-present Azar in time of need. It's not like God created Adam, and then Adam had a whole bunch of stupid stuff that he didn't want to do, so he created this little helper, Eve. No, these are two equal completing partners to one another. Listen, the solution to loneliness is not marriage, but Christian community. No one feels alone when they're in community with other Christians. In fact, the experience has been because we help people that are coming from unchurched backgrounds to come into our community. What happens is, usually, Christian couples will join a small group and then they will experience koinonia, which is the Greek word for I remember one time I was in Atlanta. It was I was at a Po Folks restaurant. Love Po Folks. So I'm at Po Folks. I'm drinking a, a a soda, and then I was like, "Gosh, what is that? I got celery in my teeth." And and I realized I put my finger inside this mason jar, and there was dirty food in the glass. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna vomit!" Right? That's koinonia. Koinonia means common. And it's the Greek word for common and dirty, meaning it's common that, like, do you have an office at your work, a kitchen, where people go and they'll clean out coffee cups and sometimes they'll share and that sort of thing? Those are, those are koinonia cups. Those are shared cups. And so what will happen oftentimes is that you'll get people that will come in in their marriage and they don't have intimacy and they'll get into the fellowship in the small group and they'll be like, oh, this is what we're supposed to be experiencing in this relationship. And so they'll experience with Christians first before they experience it in the relationship. And that's okay. Listen, some of the loneliest people on the planet are extroverts. They're incredibly gifted at being expressive and they're some of the most, sometimes if they're, personality is oriented this way, they're sometimes some of the most affectionate and verbally affectionate people you'd ever want to meet. But get them off the record, and these people will tell you, talking and showing affection is an ingenious way to keep your partner from pushing harder to get to know the real you. On the flip side, we introverts, we're awesome at avoiding intimacy, right? You don't have to teach us to show, not show intimacy. We're awesome at it, right? It just naturally comes. That for, for the introvert, community is a discipline. For the extrovert, solitude is a discipline. Intimacy, what happens when two equal people permanently cement themselves together, which affords them the opportunity, at least, to safely expose the core of who they are for the very first time in their lives. This doesn't happen by accident. So the question is, how do we address these red flags that we all bring into relationships? How do we address these in friendships? How do we address these in dating? How do we address these in our marriages? How do we address these red flags when it comes to parent-child relationships, sibling, sibling relationships, and on and on? First, for those of you who are single, listen to me. Please address your brokenness before you get into 
a serious relationship. Not addressing your brokenness before you get into a relationship is like two people pushing off in a canoe uh, to the middle of the lake and they realize the bottom of the canoe has a hole in it. You can keep paddling, but you're also then going to have to keep paddling water out. This is really hard to try to do that at the same time. You owe it to your future self, your future spouse, if you choose to get married, your future kids, to lay that heavy weight down. Just lay it down. That shame, the anxiety, the... Get rid of that. Second, please understand this is coming from a point of love. I genuinely mean this. For those of you who are living together, please either get married or move out. I know you have really good reasons for why you're not getting married. And usually it's coming from your exes. And I don't judge you at all, but you're hurting yourself and you're hurting your chances of success in a future relationship. The longer you stay together, the longer you're creating ruts in the road that you're going to have to go back in and backfill later. So, if you're together, if you love each other, get married, propose, or move out. Be honest with one another. Because I will, in my experience, when people are living together and it takes them a while, they're hedging their bets. I want to, but I don't want to. You need to burn the boats. Number three, for those of you who are married, I want you to practice doing the opposite behaviors of the red flags, okay? So this is what this means. Number one, I want you to practice speaking tenderly to each other instead of using sarcasm. So if you're in a relationship this week and someone speaks sarcastically, I want you to point it out and then punch them in the throat. Okay, so that's number one. Now, I just want you to point it out. Oh, that's sarcasm. That was funny, but it's not funny the fifth time. Number two, lovingly challenge your partner to hold off on the affection and talking and to share something with you they've never shared before. Even if those of you who are dating, I want you to ask each other, tell me something today that you've never shared with me. Number three, practice staying in the awkwardness of vulnerable moments as they arise instead of changing topics. I, like my kids literally have had to teach me how to do this. My kids have had to teach me how to do this. We'll be at the dinner table, which is always where we meet. We're telling stories. and that, Or if something comes up, talk it out. And I want to change the subject. And they'll say, Dad, don't change the subject. This is important for us to talk about this. And I'll say, I'm the pastor in the family. I will tell you what to do. But it's true. Like My kids literally had to bring it out of me. And number four... This is your last bit of homework. For those of you who are in a marriage relationship only, I want you to spend 60 minutes on the roller coaster this week 
without going over the top. Let me tell you what I mean. This means you're going to take one full hour together in the clothes that God gave you at birth. And I want you to just be there, preferably where we don't have to see you. That would be weird. But just to enjoy the physical embrace of each other, the touch of each other, and having an intimate conversation and set the clock for 60 minutes. Because for most of us, this actually would be difficult. And then pay attention to what that feels like and pay attention to the knee-jerk magnetic push away and work through that and sit there through just any apparent awkwardness or whatever. And so this is your homework. And the last thing is, please do not come to me next week and report on how the homework went, okay? (laughs) Jesus, we're very thankful for your teaching in Scripture for this model of, of Adam and Eve and for how brokenness gets into our relationships and how you are ever present in our life just wanting to help and just to take away the burdens. That relationships are a gift. People are a gift to each other and we've allowed the evil one to take what is meant to be a gift and to use it to our disadvantage. It's very hard to trust It's very hard to start over. It's very hard to move forward. But with your grace, with your power, and with your presence as your disciples, we can do that. We pray that you would help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.